Joining me today, I've got three gentlemen who are going to talk to you about the exciting world of alternative animation. Jake Trapeel is here. Hey, hey, good evening, everyone. Jake, how are you? Doing fine, Steve. How are you? I hear you. Drinking? Um, I'm drinking whiskey with more whiskey and just a just a little Coke. Like the idea of Coke is is in it. I hear you're drinking a lot of water, which is bullshit because you know California is in the midst of a drought. Yeah, hashtag fuck the drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're irresponsible, Jake. Also irresponsible, Sean Glynis. Steve, that was the most like Amway introduction I think we've ever had. Yeah, you like that? No. Um, would but, you Would you like Would you like to buy some Cutco knives? <laughs> you know what I do like. What do you like? Um, the smells coming from the banana bread that I just baked. I wish you guys could all join me in smelling it. Is that a euphemism uh, for sex? no sex is a euphemism for banana bread okay that makes a lot of sense then (laughs) so every time i text you and i say what are you up to and you say making love you're actually just baking making loaf (laughs) (laughs) also with us tonight jack eason yes uh as always i am always jack eason yeah you know and jack you know who's not here adam myros but who gives a shit maybe he's dead i don't care (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow fuck that got guy dark got dark real fast i mean yeah. banana bread sex to dead adam it's <laughs> the way we like him uh yeah so anyways as i kind of not so subtly alluded to uh we're going to talk a little bit about alternative animation and the reason this came up is well one because we were just trying to think of something to talk about on this podcast and two we talked quite a bit about anomalisa on our oscar special and it sort of opened the door for discussing, I, I don't know, other maybe critically acclaimed or underseen animated movies that maybe deserve a little bit more attention. And so we're going to use this platform to do just that. We're going to tell you about all the incredible animated movies that your jabroni ass isn't watching because you're too busy, uh, you're too busy watching Michael Bay movies. What are you doing with your life? How good is The Rock, though, Jake? The Rock is the best thing he's ever done. Exactly. That's the and correct no. answer. <laughs> I actually want to talk a little bit about... That reminds about, me. Uh, what reminds you, you may I, interject, I meant Sean. to make a wrestling joke in uh, my intro with the banana bread thing. I was going to ask if you could okay, smell do, what... Do you, do, you want me, do you want me to set that up for you? Yeah. Uh, Sean, what, what, are you, what are you baking currently? Uh, you can't smell what the Sean is cooking. Ah ha ha ha! That is a a, a wrestling joke from the year nineteen ninety nine. Sean, <laughs> you're a comedic genius. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. Thank you, guys. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about Anomalisa. I know we've already talked about it at length in a previous podcast, but uh, I, I kind of want to take this opportunity to drag Jack Eason through the mud. Is that okay with everybody else? Yeah. Get yeah, my, sure. my my waiters on. Let's go. Uh, Jack Jack Eason, ready to be dragged through the mud. He's got hater tattooed on the side of his dick. Jack, why do you hate Anomalisa so much? Because uh, it's kind of shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right, the Opvac cast, where you hear in-depth discussion 
<laughs> a critical looking film. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I was the same before before we came in here. I just feel like I'm I'm a fan of Charlie Kaufman's work just generally, and I just feel there there must be there, I feel like there's a key or something that mm-hmm. I wasn't given before the movie, and I'm just staring in through that window at the movie just something's not clicking it just felt really kind of hollow to me really all the existential angst and disaffection just felt really kind of fake and forced and awkward and then jennifer jason lee sang girls just want to have fun acapella and i was like no fuck this (laughs) sean could you play that song loudly for us right now until jack learns to love it I love it's that. even better because you're clearly playing it through your speakers <laughs> instead of through the mic input. <laughs> I had to get pumped up. That part is so that part is beautiful to me. Like so, maybe like the fact that you don't like it, maybe that just like. Uh, now, now, can we clarify? I never said I didn't like Cindy Lauper's version. No, no, no. I'm talking about that part. I'm talking about the acapella. The acapella. Okay, good, because that's obviously not what you play. Because you just yeah. play. Oh, sure, Jack. Yeah. Do you think you would have enjoyed the movie more if she sang? Her hit ballad, She Bop. <laughs> Acapella. Or True Colors, perhaps. Are you more of a True Colors guy? Is that, is that really the crux of the issue? Uh, true Colors would be good, although, honestly, after Leatherface covered that song, I can't listen to the Cindy Lauper version anymore. <laughs> Sean, could you talk a little bit about why Jack Easton is so incredibly wrong? Uh, first of all, he's wrong about the acapella part because it's just, like I said, it's just beautiful. Um, but uh, before I do so, uh, when I, ta- I was talking to my coworker after I first watched this movie about that part, um, and uh, I was like, yeah, this character, the titular uh, Lisa, um, she sings Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is, you know, one of like the best songs ever written. Uh, and she sings it a cappella, and it's like kind of awkward and whatever. And he's like, oh, the, uh, my, my favorite version of that song is on a, a live CD f- of Ben Gibbard. And I was like, oh, God. I was like, that's so, probably the worst sentence I've ever heard in my life. Girls just want to have fun on my in twin size bed. bed. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we had a little thing going there, Sean. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. We can release that part of the podcast separately, make a little bit of coin. (laughs) That's a good idea. See, that's what you think. We got to monetize this shit. That's what we're fucking up. You guys will be the next air supply. Mm -hmm. But but the the movie, like, uh, um, I could see like uh, Jack. I could see like your feeling of like just like waiting for like the 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 key to like I guess access the film. It's super sparse, um, and like deliberately paced and whatnot. Um, I, I like the premise though, like especially as someone who, so it's about this guy who um, he's like making the conference rounds based on like this bestseller within the industry of like sales. Um, so he's just doing these like keynote uh, speeches that like nobody really cares about besides like people who are in sales that actually care about their job, which has to be few and far between. But um it's kind of interesting to me extra textually because I, in my line of work, like we, like my company has like a lot of conferences and has like speakers that are like, we have to like amp up as if they're like important people, but they're actually just terrible and they're not dynamic speakers at all. And, um, so this was sort of like a, a sort of fabricated, uh, insight into that world. But, um, 
besides that, I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like the disaffection was that forced. I, I guess that's something that I come into Charlie Kaufman films, like expecting and sort of believing, which maybe isn't fair even. Well, I mean, I, I, part of the issue with me was obviously it, it riffs on Frigoli syndrome and they, they name check that. And it's a very rare mental disorder where basically everyone sounds the same, where you kind of, there's a feeling that sure. everyone else in your life that isn't you looks like the same person. And it just, uh, it's just things like that. It just felt like a really kind of a forced, because the film clearly isn't about Frigoli syndrome. Right. It's not a actually a, yeah so it just but it just it's to, to put in there it just felt tone deaf to me just kind of as a like a big sign like i read a book and i had an idea and huh. you know we're kind of around with it i it just like i say it just and i get the whole the whole kind of i mean it's this curious world of of celebrity where he hooks up based on the fact that they love his shitty marketing book self-help book <laughs> you know and it's and they're kind of overweight middle-aged people whose lives have never really gone the way they wanted to and i mean it's it's not the regular kind of film story mm-hmm. for sure and obviously it's all puppets which is you know a little bit different too and obviously textually feeds back into this kind of disaffection i mean that they're not sure. humans they're they're visions of humans reconstructed it's just, i don't know just for me there's just a it's, I kind of I feel like it's filmed that I kind of I understand what's what's happening and why, but it just it doesn't it didn't ring true for me. And it's I mean, it may just be that happens sometimes. And I got to say, like I mean, Charlie Kaufman's work generally, I'm a big fan of it, but just for whatever reason, I'm not on his not on his wavelength this time. Well, two things I want to point out. First of all, you mentioned the puppets, and even though we've got puppets in this movie, I would say somehow they pull off one of the most realistic banana bread scenes I've I've ever seen in a movie despite the fact that we got two puppets going at it which was very impressive yeah 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 and aside uh, from that hot bacon banana bread um, I so I, I really I really like the movie because the way I saw it it's very simple in its execution and very straightforward but it, it kind of works as like a cynical counterpoint to like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind or something you know along those lines where it's like, oh, it's it's like a manic pixie dream girl thing, except it, it sort of flips the script where it's not like, oh, right. I'm Garden State, and this girl is going to change everything for me, and I'm going to use my cool man powers to make her love me. It's just like, no, this guy is a pile of human garbage, and he's just a really shitty, selfish person, and, you know, he buys his child a, a Chinese robot sex doll. And, and that's really all you need to know to enjoy this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. Which is pretty awesome. That, At the end, that when, is a weird... What, it's like vomiting cum? <laughs> yeah. Honey, and what's coming out of its part, mouth? Because we, we were discussing nominations for this, just kind of throwing out titles. Or maybe I was just throwing out titles because I was bored. I don't know, that happens sometimes. But um, funnily enough, actually, Anomalisa, that, that doll... The end just reminded me of Ghost in the Shell 2, which also had geisha sex dolls. And it was like, and that's another film that's incredibly preoccupied with puppets and humans as puppets. And is there any difference, etc. And whatever. Do you think there's, but, do you think there's like actual like intertextuality? See, I'm wondering if it's intentional because there's actually quite a lot of, of visual overlap between the two. And they're kind of, because I, if I remember correctly, the geisha doll in, in Anomalisa has kind of innards showing clockwork parts showing which is very much kind of in line with the very early sequences in uh, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence. I, I don't know if there's any serious 
call to to invoke mm. one film over the other. Maybe it's just a fact of having seen too many movies sure. like that. But but it was just kind of an interesting thing because I mean they're both films that kind of are about puppets. So uh, kind of an interesting little twist mm-hmm. on it. But just to clarify, we're not talking about Ghost in the Shell two anymore in this podcast. So if that's what you're <laughs> really hoping for, you yeah. might want to go and yeah, get your get your anime anime fuckboy ass off this podcast. We're not talking <laughs> um, about Ghost in the Shell. I, to, to, to bring it to bring it back to the uh, banana bread scene, um, it, it's it's funny because uh, a friend of mine saw this uh, in the theater with with a friend or two and. Um, uh, her discussion with like one of her friends was like they they came at like after the the after seeing the film like walking out like saying like oh that scene was really sexy and then the other person saying like that scene was really awkward or or like gross or something like that um which um I guess I want to know like where you guys stand because to me it's like sort of right in the middle and I could see like either interpretation um because it feels like a very like distanced. Like, I don't know, I guess Steve was really turned on by it, but um, it, it, it <laughs> seems like two people experiencing two completely different things within one experience to me. Like this, yeah. this woman, that it, it really does mean a lot to her. And I think that's what makes it so awkward is because you're trying to like um, uh, empathize with her or, or like sort of like champion her. But at the same time, you see like the other side of, of the other person um, participating in this uh, uh, bake-off session. And um, <laughs> and you know that his intentions are like sort of like, well, not sort of like super grimy and less than admirable. Sure, sure. And I think it's it's interesting too because it's it's so well done, like just as a piece of filmmaking that – it's sort of interesting from that perspective, and then, like you said, you sort of you sort of feel for her because she's clearly really happy and just really into him, and he's a slime bag. And then the part that really makes it all come crashing down is just the next morning when they're eating breakfast, and he's like, "I'm going to oh, leave God. my wife," and then and then all of a sudden he starts just acting like a complete asshole. He's like, "Stop grinding yeah. your teeth." I, I think oh that scene God. was like um, that breakfast scene is like the payoff of the movie. Like, so I should say I didn't love this movie, but I do like it and I care about it. And um, that scene was like the real payoff for me is like when uh, the sun is like coming in and she starts like becoming less of an anomaly, the titular, and uh, he starts acting yeah like odd and wh- whatever, and uh, it just I don't know. Um, I don't want to say it's too relatable, but, but like. Um, at the same time, like, you know, that feeling of like losing feelings for someone or like sort of like, um, thinking of somebody and then like getting to know them or, or like getting to a certain checkpoint with them and then like thinking differently about them and how crummy that makes you feel. Mm Um, I felt like that was really tangible. Would you say, Sean, it's like going to bed with Gilda and waking up with Rita? (laughs) (laughs) callback to something that hasn't come out yet <laughs> yeah it's a call forward it's a call forward it's, a, it's the next thing so we're gonna bring that forward <laughs> yeah bring it back bring it forward uh, well, I, I mean i guess i guess notting hill has come out but <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry did you just make a notting hill reference on this podcast I sure did jesus mary and joseph yeah. I don't know. Do we yeah. know? Like, obviously, the main character in, in Anomaly says, like, he's self absorbed, incredibly selfish, but he's also clearly deeply unhappy. And he seems 
un, un, like to me, he seemed somewhat besotted by this this woman, like in a in a superficial, entirely selfish way. But I think that I don't know. Obviously, she's more into it. I just feel that maybe the the breakfast scene is just it's his delu- it's his illusion crumbling. Um, yeah. I mean, and maybe maybe that's what you're saying as well. But I don't. I just feel slightly more. Maybe not quite sympathetic towards the guy, but I mean, he's clearly he's he's a deeply flawed person too. It's just kind of he he can't fix his ironically because he goes around selling his books about how to be popular and successful and everything in his life. He just he can't figure it out himself, which is, I mean, his yeah. his whole he gives his empty seminar and so on. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, and I think clearly he's he's a deeply flawed guy and he's got some problems and you want to feel for him on some level, but at the same time he deals with them in wholly inappropriate ways by treating people Mm -hmm. like complete garbage, whether it's his wife or the woman he sleeps with or the woman that he randomly calls that he used to be with 10 years ago and just up and left for no reason. And he's clearly like damaged her horribly. So yeah, he's a real garbage human. So it's Jake. What did you think about it? Yeah, Jake, we haven't heard much from you. Yeah. So I saw this originally when it came out in theaters and, I was kind of perplexed by it all. I was like, huh. And I would say my reaction overall is very positive. Um, but attempting to rewatch it again for this, I found I couldn't really get through it all. It's not a whole lot happens in this movie. And the first time I saw it, I remember I, I kept waiting for hopefully like some kind of change or something that good that would finally happen to the character of Michael. And But he just remains the same worthless asshole that he is in the beginning. And um, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the beauty in the film comes from how it's made and how a lot of their interactions between Lisa and Michael are very naturalistic and, and very human, even though they're not humans. But um, things kind of get a little shaky for me in the third act when it goes into like the whole, oh, it was a dream sequence. And, and then uh, I, don't, I don't really care for the morning after sequence with the breakfast scene because I think it, that he's just... I don't know. I just don't like the character of Michael, and um, yeah. And again, there's a con- it's yeah, there's yeah. A contamination. I think of the con. Like for me, it's part again. It's a, this like the Frigoli syndrome that came through with everyone speaking the same voice. Is part of the breakfast sequence is that she her voice starts lapsing into the same voice because she's the only other person in the entire right. film who speaks with a different voice that he can actually recognize that he can pick out from the rabble. Everyone else in the film, absolutely everyone, is voiced by the same guy. The and it's, it's a male. Annoying. Yes, so so she, her voice starts to, to crack and laps back into the the one voice that he hears everywhere else, and again, so again, it's just kind of, I don't know, it just it feels to me like it's over conceptualized, and there's there's a distortion there for me. I just I've I don't know why exactly Kaufman chose some of the the stylistic conceits he did. They seem to be needlessly complicated for me, and just they mm-hmm. distract rather than build a credible portrait of humans. I think people are complex enough that we didn't need the like that's why i feel like things like the frigoli syndrome hook is just kind of an empty kind of something he read in a book and he thought that would be kind of an interesting thing and i don't i just feel the film would have been almost identical without that really you know Mm -hmm. i I think part of the thing with the frigoli syndrome and only hearing one voice and everything it, it probably goes back to the idea that maybe maybe in a first draft of this script, and this is just me, you know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the movie is so goddamn cynical that that the, the whole voice thing is really the only sympathetic thing because this guy is obviously so deeply flawed that he can, you know, 
he can only hear this one voice, and so that that gives him the the tiniest tiniest bit of sympathy from the audience standpoint. But if you take that away, then it's just the most cynical movie ever, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I kind of I kind of like this the the strict conceit because it's it feels like such a minor movie to me in in like a good way. Um, you know, like as opposed to something like, um, his other movies, like yeah. every one of them. Um, but there, there's something about like, All right, us- what do you mean? Synecdoche, New York. That's, that's real simple. That's a cut and dry film. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's something, I guess, juxtaposed to some of that work where it's like, it's so simple and strict that like, we know exactly like what world we're living in. Um, but he yeah, still used puppets, you know, and uh, like to me, it just uh, he still used puppets for an incredibly simple film. Would it not have been even more direct to use middle-aged, or slightly <laughs> overweight people? Sure. <laughs> well, and I think that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit more too when we get into the other movies we're going to discuss. And actually, the next movie I want to talk about is something that Jack brought up, and another reason why we decided to do this podcast. The Criterion Collection has decided to. Are you cracking a beer? What are you doing? <laughs> I've driven Sean to drink. Finally, <laughs> it's finally it wasn't happened. that hard. Actually, truth be told. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. So the Criterion Collection decided to finally start to embrace animation, which is kind of a big deal. And they recently announced that they're going to put out Fantastic Planet on Blu-ray. If and you don't count Stan Brackage, yeah, you got Stan Brackage too. And then they also put out something called Jellyfish Eyes, which I thought was an animated movie, but it's really just shitty CGI and Japanese people. They did Watership Down too, right? Oh yeah, yeah they, they did, did Watership Down, down recently. They've, they've as well. got a few. They've got a few animated things knocking around, but not not a lot. Yeah, uh, Jake, it, it, Jake, it sounded like you called it Water Shit Down, like you were like really. Let no, what, 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 <laughs> water ship down. <laughs> I don't stress my peas. <laughs> well, uh, that's how I came to hate peas because my mom stressed them so much. <laughs> oh, good lord! I almost made a banana bread joke. <laughs> and your mom, but okay. So, Fantastic Planet. Let me tell you guys about my experience with Fantastic Planet. I knew an idiot stoner about 10 years ago who I, I could not avoid interacting with. You can name Adam. Don't worry. Yeah, you're right. It was, it was Adam Myros. <laughs> so back when Adam Myros had, uh, had dreadlocks down to his buttocks oh, <laughs> and a mustache, he it, no, it wasn't him. It was someone else. But this person really liked the movie Waking Life, and they would always be like, oh, man, you like <laughs> movies? You should watch Waking Life. And I would always tell him, but he was you know, a fucking burnout idiot. She's like, no, we've had this conversation multiple times. I fucking hate Waking Life. And he'd be like, no, no, it's the best. It's almost as good as Fantastic Planet. Like, these were the two movies that he just loved more than anything. And based on the the simple fact that he knew I liked movies, he wanted to talk about Waking Life and Fantastic Planet. So because I hated him and because I hate Waking Life, I never watched Fantastic Planet (laughs) until two days ago, which is a really stupid movie. It was a really stupid reason not to watch a movie. And that's... Yeah, it was, it's that's really weird. that's that's really he sounds like a really curious kind of character to me because I really like one of those films and I fucking hate the other one and yeah. I nominated the one that I don't fucking hate. <laughs> my my history is um, not really similar, but um, one of my close friends um, in he's still my close friend, but in high school um, we were like sort Just of admit like that you killed him. Yeah, I. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, no, we were like sort of discovering like cinema, I guess, with a capital C together. And um, he found just like at a Goodwill or something or at the library a VHS of Fantastic Planet, not like knowing anything of its um, reputation and watched it. And he like loved it and championed it for, for many years before he knew that it was like uh, a cult classic. And I was always just sort of like, Oh, that's that's his move. Like that's your thing, and just like never watched it out of I don't know, like spite or something. I don't know. They're like, oh yeah, that's his discovery. Oh god, we could probably have an entire podcast on movies that we didn't watch for a really long time because we associated them out with of people. spite. Yeah. Out of spite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Watch. we ended up giving that VHS to like some girlfriend uh, in college, but oh. uh, yeah. we'll call it the Spite Cast. The Spite Cast. Spite cast. There you go, Jake. How about you? Have, had, had you seen this one before? I had never even heard of this until Criterion oh, shit, announced son. they were releasing. Oh, wow. it. I know, yeah. And I, I watched their little preview. And I'm like, oh, this looks very interesting. I'm actually and really the- surprised because this is something like, uh, along with Waking Life, it was like, it was always in the sci-fi section, and it's just like, oh, check it out, it's Alien Three, and in French, <laughs> and then this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was kind of. I don't know. It was always sort of there, and it has this very. At least the DVD copy that I remember always being a blockbuster video has this very like stark and interesting cover where you're like, "What the fuck is that shit?" And there's really no way to dress up this movie without highlighting the fact that it looks trippy as balls. Yeah, really. it is. It is yeah. kind of weird. It's it's got kind of a Terry Gilliam animation thing. Like if you had to give it sort of a touch point that other people could be like, "Oh yeah, I kind of get it." Yeah, like those those little Monty Python animated interludes. Oh yeah, it's like that they do. It's like cut out stop uh, motion. Jilted. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's different to say the least. Certainly. I mean, um oh. the direction was uh, René Lalo, who's uh, was a rather interesting French uh, animator who direct he didn't have he didn't make a lot of stuff in his career cuz I for various reasons I guess funding became more and more difficult to secure for animation, but he he actually weirdly enough got his start working in a psychiatric hospital and he had his patients so the people he was he was minding i guess he wasn't a doctor but he had them he started to do animation with them and they started to compose little weird short films and so on which eventually made it to french television because that's a thing that happens in france um and he eventually met up with roland tapor who's a, a french novelist uh cartoonist actor he was actually he plays renfield in the Werner herzog version of nosferatu which is you know he showed he's a man of many talents um huh. And really, Roland Tapor is the, the guy behind the visuals for this film. He was the conceptual artist and production designer. So all of those kind of really weird visuals are really kind of his his brainchild. And it was so decided he was sort that... Of, uh, he was sort of the H.R. Giger of this? Uh, essentially, yes. And they'd worked before. Uh, Lalo and him worked together on film The mm. Snails and uh, on a film called Le Temps Mort which I guess oh, is the real? dead times. So, the, yeah, they'd worked bef- together on some short films prior. Um, so it, it's kind of an interesting... Uh, Lalo kind of had this... He, he tended to, in his earlier career, work with, the, as you say, this kind of cut-out stop-motion animation. He liked the depth of animation, the depth of visual complexity you could do with this kind of animation, as opposed to kind of more traditional step-by-step 
cell animation like Disney would would do, which is much more fluid, much more uh, kind of uh, realistic, I guess, in terms of its movements, but also has much you you necessarily have to use much simpler character designs because it's far too complicated otherwise. Mm-hmm. So um, he had Roland Tapor designed all of the characters and the cutouts and so on, and then he he assembled it. And it was actually it's a French Czechoslovakian uh, co-production, which makes perfect sense really um czechoslovakia being kind of one of the has a peerless reputation for stop motion animation some of the greatest stop motion animators in the world have come out of czechoslovakia mm. um so it's, it's kind of and at, at one point he Lalo actually was almost uh there was he was almost thrown off the project the the czechs actually almost tried to steal it but it didn't work out in the end so it's kind of a curious a curious film it kind of Lalo supervised it. He wrote it with Tapor. Tapor designed all of the characters, and then it was a Czech team that kind of really assembled everything and put it all together. So it's it's a very kind of like I said. If you can think of another film that looks like this, I'd love to hear it because there aren't any. There, it's a really no. weird, trippy kind of a film. It, it really does have a, a very unique visual style, and I think the best way to put it is Terry Gilliam, like Monty Python stop motion stuff. And it's almost mixed with, I want to say, like, 1960s Hanna-Barbera cartoons, only because well, the animation is so sparse, but sure. it more intentionally. What were you going to say, Sean? I was going to ask Jake if, when you when you watched the trailer for it, if you were like, oh, wow, this, is, this reminds me a lot of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> Which also is in the... in the Criterion canon. Oh, is that boom. just a joke because it's called Fantastic something? No, 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 it wasn't. Just because he uses uh, stop motion, I guess. <laughs> it's it's interesting, actually. There, there seems that, to be a bit of a I, disconnect I on less. that. It's yeah. almost, this movie's almost indescribable. I mean, it's like Terry Gilliam also meets a little bit of Avatar, I would say, as much as I hate Avatar. Yeah. And then also, aliens. It, it's got, I, I got, it's so weird. There's There's clearly like, the 1970s art film counterculture film like you know your el topos and your holy mountains like there's there's oh God, a, a sprinkling of that you know to talk about the holy mountain again i don't want to talk <laughs> about holy mountain i forgot i watched that you can turn <laughs> shit into gold sean yeah yeah apparently because it's only a film and you can watch it uh, b- before turned. before we get into the meat of this movie though i want to say jack next time you recommend something like this i'm gonna have to request that you specify which version i should watch the subtitle or the dub version i started with the dub version because when i put it in that's just what started playing my god the english <laughs> language track on this is heinous it was like it was like they lobotomized the entire voice Check out acting a DVD or something it was bad. It was real bad. It's funny. Actually, I, I watched the English language version just before we started recording for the first time ever. I've seen this film several times, so I've never watched the... It's Roger Corman actually released it in the United States, and he reco- he recorded a dub. Did, to, did he do all the voices himself? <laughs> did, what, no, what are you talking about? That's Barry Boswick, motherfucker. That's big names, big oh, money. Steve, Jesus. Steve, what format did you watch this on? Uh, I, I watched this on the format provided via the internet. Oh okay, but it came with multiple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a I got a Samsung smart TV, so it lets you like alternate oh, between subtitles okay. and vocal tracks and mm. all kinds of shit. It's pretty I nice. Did, I did what I think Sean did, and I downloaded a French copy without subtitles. So then I had to go find another <laughs> copy. But I feel my subtitles. 
you know, why even bother? Just you know, watch it, watch it. Don't know what they're talking about. Just zone mm. out. No, nope, not with is this that viable. <laughs> I couldn't mm. do it. I tried giving it a shot to say, oh, maybe this is just to be you know very visual driven and like, nope, they are no, it's it is quite talky. Yeah, it's okay. it's a curious film because um, it's interesting. I say it's a French. It really the it's a French production essentially are designed by by two french people but i mean there's definitely in design since it was made in a communist occupied czechoslovakia there's certainly kind of overtures i think of soviet occupation to it in terms of these kind of weird you kind of uniform blue giants not blue i guess it's not necessarily a trait of communists but uh, kind of giant kind of monolithic culture that's suppressing more readily identifiable humans, keeping them almost as pets, uh, kind of uh, rate, kind of give, feeding them and, and taking care of them, but not really treating them as, as equals at all. And that they so, eventually, they through education, manage to subvert their masters and, and gain equal footing. Um, sure, it's kind sure. of an interesting point. The co-production... As a co-production of, of uh, France and, and Czechoslovakia, um, especially with the Czech politics at the time, which do you think influenced it more? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because there's really there, there feels like, and this is something I hadn't really considered until I read. Uh, Craig Keller wrote a really kind of interesting little breakdown of the of this movie. Um, which he draws he draws a separate reading potentially i think i think the communist overtures are pretty readily apparent and probably pretty intentional and i think that's probably something that apparently in the production the the czech team really took to the film eventually say so they almost tried to snatch it away from lelou and make it solely a czech production um and czechoslovakia was an interesting case in in eastern bloc cinema and that czechoslovakia actually had much more freedom in media than a lot of their other neighbors that were under soviet control which led to i mean the czech new wave was something that they had films that had kind of uh, tides of, of commentary in them that simply just couldn't have been released, could never have gotten out of censorship in, in Poland or, or mm-hmm. a number of those other countries. Um, so it, the, the kind of, I think the Czechs saw this this vein in it, and I think it really it it stood with them. It really struck out for them that they tried to almost take the film themselves, and they certainly apparently towards the end of it, according to Lalo's own accounts, they really. Once they they rectified it and allowed him to be the director, they really championed the product um, and brought it through. But to get back, one of the interesting things that that's mentioned um, by Craig Keller is uh, that this film could also, separate of politics or anything, you could easily just interpret this as a kind of a, a, a exoneration of psychedelic drug usage. Um, mm-hmm. Because clearly there's a lot of really trippy imagery in this, but also the the big blue aliens who meditate transcendentally and shapeshift and stuff. Um, and and fuck weird... on the moon. Don't and forget fuck that. On the moon. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they're, they're called the the drugs, which is, I believe, the French for drug is is called... pronounced somewhat similar called... to that. It's called baking banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> they bake banana bread on the moon. It's never been done before. That's, well, okay, that's we, a, we should probably everything for people yeah. who haven't seen this. We should probably break down what the movie's about. It's it's about this race of aliens on this uh, you know this planet, uh, this fantastic planet, if you will, the titular <laughs> fantastic <laughs> planet. <laughs> and humans are there, except 
they're tiny compared to the giant I blue people. Feel and we can we can correct you. The Fantastic Planet is actually the planet they go to later on. It's, it's oh yeah, that's the Moonfuck planet. That's right. You're you're, you're correct. <laughs> yes, the Moonfuck planet. That's it's referred to. <laughs> so so basically, working title: humans are kept as pets, and then one of the pet humans steals this little like gold bracelet which basically functions as a textbook slash Wikipedia slash the internet and takes it away, gives it to the other humans, and they they get smarter and smarter. And eventually they take rockets up to fuck planet and then they blow up some fuck statues. And then the giant blue people are like, whoa, what's going on? And then there's peace and it's over is, is that i mean is that the synopsis this is that's, a very that's trippy pretty, movie. Pretty close. It, yeah it's i mean it's pretty much 12 years a slave with blue people it is it really is in a lot of ways and, and it's funny too because i didn't know that this was like a czechoslovakian co-production so the entire time my reading of the movie and, and now it makes a lot more sense that you know you you've explain that to me but all i'm thinking the entire time is goddamn fucking hippies and i thought the entire thing was about psychedelic drug use and like uh just like stopping animal cruelty like that that, that was what i was thinking of it as that that's actually the animal cruelty part is actually a legitimate concern because you'll notice in the very last shot once once peace has been reached between the drugs and the alms which are the the big blue giants and the the regular humans in the last sequence uh there there's one of the drugs is continuing her lessons but now she's holding like a green lizard dog creature and petting it which is you know is say that they've just found some other race to subjugate that maybe it's not as peaceful as as you know we might originally consider sure um, and uh, you know throughout the movie too and and this this is something that kind of irked me a little bit i know it's kind of nitpicky but uh, you know the entire time all the blue aliens are like oh my god these ohms they're just they're fucking vermin they're everywhere oh i'm so sick of them oh Uh, my god and they're just they're just (laughs) they're just completely obsessed with how much they hate the humans but really if you look at their planet there's all kinds of weird shitty animals that are doing weird (laughs) shitty things it's like you know you guys have a lot of shitty animals here you should probably like you know Maybe exterminate they, yeah. them instead. They the do. They have the, the least of their concerns. They're like ants. Exactly. That'd, that'd be like me being like, oh, God, these fucking ants. Oh, I'm so it's, sick of them. It's it weird. Um, yeah, because I mean, the, the wildlife and the planet, there's this one great, because I, I took notes on, on the cruelty of the planet, because uh, it's a weird thing to me that the French title is La Planète Sauvage, and then the, yeah. the American title is fantastic planet and they're referring to the same planet but one is fantastic and the other one is savage the the french title is the savage planet yeah, which you know like it's, as well yeah so it's, it's it feels like one is slightly more uh you know optimistic than the other the the american one seems to be playing up kind of the the outlandishness of it yeah. but yeah the, Thanks, I mean, the, Roger the, the wildlife on their the wildlife on their planet is crazy i love there's one animal that's like it lives in it's like an animal or a plant but it's like a weird giggling thing in a cage and it catches little flying animals in its tendrils and just throws them on the ground so they die it doesn't eat them or anything it just laughs and kills other animals all yeah. day and that's like a plant on this planet yeah this plant yeah it, it laughs and then it murders fish with wings so yeah, there's definitely a little bit of Terry Gilliam floating around in this movie. Just this is it, it's it's utterly bizarre, and I, I really think you hit the nail on the head when you said you will not see another movie like this. It's definitely a product of its time; like it has a very 1970s, early 1970s feel to it. 
especially with the random interjection of like funk guitar that just comes in like bootsy collins oh, that, is just ripping off a solo steel pedal guitar oh baby. yeah it's 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 something it's yeah your soundtrack is i mean that was by uh alan Guragie. I, I don't know how to pronounce his surname but he's he was a he worked with serge gainsburg he was apparently a very noted jazz musician oh, so him. so he got a whole a whole score here and it's i, I know it's I, I like it i love the sound design of the film i think there's really interesting noises and kind of the animal noises the sounds and everything but it's it's totally just kind of weird and trippy it's it's a great film to watch when you're kind of half asleep I will say that. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those movies, too, where the central concept is so simple, you know? Like, oh, you know, humans enslave other people. What if someone enslaved the humans? Like, it's it's really... The, the central story is so, like, baseline stoner idiot thought, but then all the other things around it, that's what sort of teases out more interesting ideas. And it's one of those movies where... After I watched it, just thinking back on it, there's there's just so many questions, and I'm like, what the fuck was that all about? Even even little things that seem insignificant, like why in God's name were they were they eating like glowing rocks and then running around naked? Because I- oh, yeah, yeah, I guess the the drugs have their weird uh, psychedelic meditation sex. The the humans have their own glowing forest sex parties too. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't even- figure that part out. Yeah, I'm not going to claim I've got an answer for that, to be honest. Uh, well, and the other thing about that is it happens twice in the movie. Like, the first time, it's kind of long and drawn out. I'm like, oh, maybe this will come back into play. And then the second time it happens, they're like, oh, no, we just found out that the drugs are going to come and kill us all. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's take drugs and fuck in the woods and glow. They do clarify <laughs> that that time moves very differently for both. So I guess the, the humans are just focusing on repro- reproducing. They reproduce much more quickly because a week of, hum- of drug time is a year of human time, which is why they're able to spread so quickly. I mean, honestly, this looks like it's, it's almost like a weird uh, like psychedelic precursor to Pokemon because uh, they, they, they have the arms and they make them fight each other and shit. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of interesting. That's that's actually a really good way of putting it. It's like fucked up seventies drug Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I want someone to make that now so badly, like actual with Pikachu and shit. But it's, it's it has so many weird little details, and that's what I like about it because it is it's a very straightforward concept. It's a very kind of if you if you latch on to say Soviet occupation or something or just human kind of uh, interrelation, kind of with with the way that certain groups of factions of humans have suppressed other factions it's kind of very easy to get on board with that reading but there's so many like little just weird things that i mean they have the deomization where they go out and they try to kill all of the wild alms and they use like this weird thing that shoots pills and the pills have like their their chemical weapons they have it's like gas and all the alms die and then they walk through with little alms on leashes with gas mats who are you know your little collaborators the the tame alms that work with the with the overlords i mean there's so much in this that to uh, a soviet occupied populace must have really i don't like it just feels kind of dangerous at points to be just a little bit like it's pushing buttons it's a really fascinating film but it's pushing buttons under the guise of something that's so outlandishly weird looking that you mm-hmm. know, it, it was it's kind of you feel like you could show to a board of communist censors and they're just like okay people like this sure <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I, I guess my only complaint is the third act. It it really felt rushed to me. 
in a lot of ways, you know. So these ohms, the the humans, they they get a hold of the magical internet ring, and they gain all this knowledge. And then we find out that within fifteen years, they basically become they go from cavemen to advanced rocket scientists, uh, so they can take rockets to the fuck moon. <laughs> it's just like the sea monkeys in South Park. Yeah. So all that in mind, we we basically go from this point where they're cavemen, like running for their lives to not get exterminated, to becoming rocket scientists who go to the moon and then blow up fuck statues, and then there's peace. And this all happens like that. The, all of that happens in the span of like ten to fifteen minutes, and it, just the initial build that that felt really rushed to me, and it was it was a little bit off putting. But then again, this I, whole movie is so bizarre that I, it's it's not a movie that I absolutely love. But at the same time, I feel like this is something I'd recommend to almost anyone. Like, hey, you want to see some fucking shit? Watch this. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> Gather around, you stoner shitheads, smoking weed in your dad's garage, listening to your Pink Floyd records, you fucking losers. Quit talking about how the Mars Volt is your favorite band and watch Fantastic Planet. <laughs> Jake, how about you? Are you going to recommend this to everyone you know? I Friends, loved will. ones? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. And uh, I actually watched it with my roommate, and he had never heard of this. And he's like, how'd you hear about this movie? And I'm like, oh, uh, Criterion's releasing it, and uh, I'm watching it for this um, podcast I'm doing. He's like, yeah, but how did they hear about it? I don't know. Like, they're just my stupid internet friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's... Uh, he's well, he just seems like this is the kind of film that should have been left in obscurity or something. I don't know. But, uh, I, yeah, I really liked it. Did your roommate like it more than The Sinful Dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> I would say so because he didn't talk to me for about a week after I watched The Sinful Dwarf. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Whatever. There's too many layers in that film that just leaves people asking questions. I don't know. Some of that yeah. wah-wah guitar, like that funk guitar, I swear to God, like I was getting flashbacks to the, the pulsating buttholes in uh, Sinful Dwarf <laughs> when I was watching Fantastic Planet. We'll take, we'll take the soundtrack from one and add it to the other. Speaking of pulsating buttholes, Sean, how about you? What, what do you, you get any thoughts on Fantastic Planet? Uh, I think we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. We'll move on. So this movie, Fantastic Planet, it has this really optimistic sort of ending, and it kind of ties things up really neatly, which was surprising, all things considered. And one of the other movies that we watched... The NPR show? Yeah, the All Things Considered. It's me, Robert Siegel. I, that was my NPR joke. That's all I got. One of the other movies we watched, this, this is another one where I, I did... Diane Diane Reem. Is that, is that okay? Is that all right? <laughs> close. <laughs> maybe maybe not so close. So one of the other movies we watched, this is another one that I put off for the longest time, and again, for a very stupid reason. This is how I choose movies to watch. I'm a horrible human being. This movie I didn't watch because it was on Netflix for a very long time, and I thought the the little like screen grabs slash like movie poster slash DVD cover, whatever they use for Netflix for the picture, I thought it was really stupid looking, so I just didn't watch it for roughly like three years. <laughs> That's usually the reason why I have watched stuff on Netflix. Like this looks really shitty. <laughs> but this is like the wrong kind of shit. I was like, I don't know what this is. Fuck this. What is it about dancing? I hate dancing. <laughs> this movie is not about dancing. This movie is Waltz with Bashir. Holy shit. If you want a movie that's a real punch in the gut, oh my God. And also, if we're talking about alternative animation, this thing flies off into all kinds of different directions. 
I would say, I mean, if I was hard pressed to pick one of my favorite animated movies from the past like decade, this would probably be number one for me. Huh? Just unbelievably so this is good. Your first time watching it. First time watching it because I'm an asshole and I didn't watch it on Netflix for three years. Right. Which, by the I've way, been, it's, it's off of Netflix now. In case you want to watch it, you can't. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch this since it came out. Everyone was telling me it was great, and I just never got around to it because I'm shit at watching movies. <laughs> the man who that's, watches a million different movies but never watches the movies that are timely that, or that's, topical. That's how it feels. I feel like I'm always watching movies, and then someone goes, hey, have you seen this popular movie? It's like, fuck, no, not that no, one. No, I, uh, I watched this obscure French short from 1963. Did you, did you watch it, Jack? <laughs> I, oh, I did watch it, and it, it's very good. I, I should have watched it when everyone else watched it and told me to watch yeah. it. And I was like, no, I'm too busy watching a bunch of doped-up blue dudes with a jellyfish <laughs> in his head or whatever. And I, I really think, too, this Waltz with Bashir is one of those movies where it's deceptively great. Like, it starts off, and you're like, okay, I kind of see where this is going. And then it swerves off into a different direction, and oh. then it swerves off into a, a completely different direction. And then afterwards, I was thinking about it. I was like, god damn, that was intense especially the last it's, five minutes holy shit oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's it's done with um with flash animation i believe mm-hmm. um so so it looks at according to imdb they say there was no rotoscoping there was no they did shoot live action footage but they didn't animate over the live action footage they yeah. just used it as reference points and they animated completely from scratch but it has a kind of a life like Kind of, it, it looks a lot like they did animate over live fo- live action footage for a lot sure. of it, which made me think for a lot of us like, wow, this is like Waking Life if that film didn't suck. <laughs> yeah, it, it does kind of have a Waking Life if it didn't suck ass vibe. And then the other thing that was interesting for <laughs> it was me full is full of people I didn't want to punch. <laughs> right. It it do you do you guys or did you ever visit the website Newgrounds? No. Yes. Okay. Is that okay. like loose change? It's it's exactly the same thing. No, it, it was yeah. this website where people would upload like flash animation cartoons. Yeah. And so for me, this was interesting because I used to go to Newgrounds all the time when I was in like high school. And this was sort of like, what if Newgrounds grew up and actually did something what if, what, really like, cool? What, what if Newgrounds stopped making fucking furry porn games and yeah. decided to make something useful for once? <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's what it boils down to. Um, Steve, it's funny that you say that like... Uh, it kind of like starts one way and sort of like ends another way. Um, <clears throat> this time watching it, I felt like uh, I really liked um, – it has like a lack of pretense. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's trying to do something. It, it feels like it really is like in search like right alongside its protagonist and, and writer and director. Like it really feels like it's, mm-hmm. it's like it's along for the ride like really trying to search for whatever he's searching for. And doesn't feel like it's trying to like be some like artistic like masterpiece or 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 do anything interesting even. It's just like there, like going from like person to person. Yeah, um, I, I, and I think I, that's a great point because a, a lot of movies of, of a similar vein, it feels like they start with the conclusion. You know, this is where I want to be. How do I get there? And this movie, like you said, it really feels like we're being you know taken on this journey along with the protagonist. Yeah. yeah, I feel I feel it's a very clever it's a very clever use of animation. Like I say, with Anomalisa, I'm a little bit uh, like I have questions with regarding why they decided to use a, a puppet mode for that. Other people may may not have that issue, but I I found that to be a kind of a troubling conceit. This film it makes a huge amount of sense to me because 
essentially, I mean, to clarify the film, it's essentially it's it's a series of interviews uh, with the director who was a military veteran who participated in uh, war in Beirut. And he he has recollections of a massacre that occurred there of civilians and he can't remember being there, but he thinks he was and he starts interviewing other people trying to piece together what happened and kind of kickstart his own memory. So it's really it's a series of interviews with with regular Israeli ex military people, people who have that that shared experience discussing this. And um, the animation feels like it's uh I mean the film is about memory to some degree because they're trying to he's trying to rekindle his memory. So the animation, this kind of this uh replication of life feels like a very mm-hmm. useful uh, tool to that to kind of to capture that kind of murkiness that kind of sure. uh, recapitulation of facts afterwards um, and of course in the last couple of minutes of the film without giving too much away it lapses into absolutely gut-wrenching live action which dumps us back into reality and it makes sense it's not just it like it's not just like the last couple of minutes of American Sniper where we get like the real funeral for the oh douchebag. God. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it makes, it makes sense because like, um, th- yeah, like you said, like the animation is like sort of simulating this like memory um, and like trying to, 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 I guess, find that again. But then like that crystallizes like how he has, how like deeply he's like discovered this memory of his. Oh no, definitely, definitely. It it makes complete sense and it's Yeah, it's not just like grief porn. No, not at all, not at all. And I think it's I think it's interesting as well. It's a film that's about memory. Uh, what's what's curious to me, and it, it's uh, I guess kind of an Israeli tenet. I mean, in Israel, there's mandatory military service, and they have these obviously have had numerous wars and very kind of troubled history. Uh, so um, there's kind of a shared memory among all of these Israeli people of a certain age that they all participated in the military on these specific incursions. It's kind of, it's an interesting film about a kind of a nationally imposed memory, almost a, a, a construction of the, of the state, yeah. uh, construction of the nation, which I thought was an interesting tenet they brought out, which, which they tease out later on in that it's a very troubling element because as later on, they, they acknowledge while Israeli troops did not, uh, conduct the massacre they inadvertently witnessed it they followed the chains of command they just followed orders and reported it and it was never really intervened with which of course was i mean the nuremberg trials the nazis it was the the same thing of how do we blame people for just following orders is that a legitimate excuse i mean it, it, it unearthed some very troubling uh, kind of portraits of the national character and so on. So I think it's a film that's got a lot of of unusual kind of intelligent little insights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really love the way that they portray soldiers too, because there's nothing particularly heroic about what they're doing. Right. You know, almost every single like war scene or whatever, where they're driving around the tank, they're just shooting constantly. And the reason they're doing it, they're not shooting at anything in particular. They just, they really legitimately don't know what they're doing. So they're just shooting off into the yeah. distance for no yeah, reason I think at that, all. I think that also lends itself to not having a lot of pretenses. Just like you feel how clueless these soldiers are. You know, it's not yeah. like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, none of them, it's they're not, they're not like, I think they're not invested films. in it. It's not like some heroic, like, oh yeah, we got to fight this fight because meh, fuck these guys. They're, they don't even know. 
entirely why they're there. It's never and made then, yeah, clear to and us it's like why driving they're the there. tank with like they're like dead compatriots like at their feet, and it's yeah. I mean, I think there's shades. Certainly, I think of he. I think the film very cleverly invokes kind of Apocalypse Now. At one point, they have mm-hmm. that that beach party scene, which Apocalypse Now also had a, a party scene, and it, it, I think mean, it really. Uh, you mean the one with OMD's Anola Gay? Yes, that the very one. This film is a kick-ass soundtrack. Just, just to note, it's got a kick-ass soundtrack and it will leave you feeling like shit. So that's an interesting combination. It's a double but, um, You'll dance the night away and then cry. There you go. Mm. Yeah, they also have pills. This is not a love song, which is a personal favorite of mine, to be honest. But um, it's they have that party, that party scene on the beach, and um, it's it's it highlights like apocalypse now highlighted which is this awkward shift of where they're obviously at war and it's a national a nationally imposed kind of politically imposed structure that they're at war but these are just guys and they're trying to maintain their own pace of life they're trying to bring surfboards i mean they're surfboards specifically just like an apocalypse now they've got beer they're trying to barbecue and hang out and again it's just it has this this very it just highlights like you say i think this this um disconnect where these guys are kind of clueless just they're forced to do this it's part of what they have to do but they're not really just because they have to do it doesn't make them soldiers per se yeah i i particularly like the sort of like centerpiece um like memory that he keeps going back to um it's like these like like him and like two other soldiers and it's like a memory we don't even know if it's like real as far as i remember but like they're just like rising out of the water and they're all naked and then like they eventually like put their clothes on and they're just like staring at like beirut and uh it's like it seems to me like it's plausible but um it seems to me like like more interesting metaphorically especially since it's the only thing he can remember and he can't remember most everything but um as like almost this like weird like sense of naivety or like being born like out of this water and just like being naked and coming out of like all the liquid and really not not having a clue and trying to like recapture what that feels like mm-hmm. so, yeah they put their they put the, they come out of the water naked and they put their clothes on it's almost like they're putting civ- civilization back on yeah right i should i should mention um a funny thing about this my experience with this is um it was i first watched this in a class about documentary filmmaking and uh the professor like showed this as a documentary um, which oh, clearly it's, it's not, it's not, but like there no, are it's like a pseudo like documentary. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Obviously it's like, wait, how, how can like an animated movie be a documentary? But, um, they, I guess they animate like some of these interviews and really use them in a similar way that, that other documentarians would, but, um, that's mixed with a lot of other elements so it's really interesting it's like, it's like waking life is a documentary about hanging out with a group of people i fucking hate <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's, a good way to put it it's really an Im- impressive piece of work um much like jack i'd always wanted to see this when it was released and i actually knew it was nominated for oscars and i just never got around to it and luckily this was the time and and for those who dismiss animation as like being for kids and or just don't care for it this film really speaks to the power of what the medium can do and 
I don't know. I it just it just completely shattered me at the end of the, this film, and and for all of the reasons that you guys have said, like the images of him rising out of the ocean on the city with the flares is exquisite, and yeah. the the opening shot of the, the just the dogs running down the street is exquisite. <laughs> it's just so so incredible and so heavy, and yeah, I just I loved it, man. I mean, and also let's let. Let's not forget this film in all of its seriousness. Also, in the end credits, thanks Ron Jeremy because there's totally a, a version of him in the movie. Oh like, yeah, animation reconstruction of a Ron Jeremy porno at one point, which yeah, is not yeah, something I, I've seen before that I can recall. And, and that's the great well, thing about this movie too is yeah. you know it, it mixes so many different styles. Like it's obviously it's gut wrenchingly depressing at points, and it's profound, and it's legitimately funny. And at the same time, it also mixes these like pseudo documentary styles with a drama, and there's so much going on. It's just yeah, an incredible yeah. movie. Yeah, I, I can like only like keep, I guess, like re- like thinking about it in terms of like uh, like I said, introducing it as like you feel like you're on the same path as the protagonist, and it doesn't feel like you're being led by the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and I think when 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 you find it, you find what he finds. It's it's just all the more upsetting, and you realize this is something. You understand why it was left out there, why why he tried to forget, or why there was this attempt to forget. And the importance of the film is in rekindling that, and mm-hmm. understand that you just can't let that stuff go. It's it's and that is a deeply upsetting film on that level <laughs> a lot of good films are i mean we it's, didn't, it's we didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about the titular waltz oh yeah there is a great titular waltz <laughs> so yeah. Bashir, he's already dead at that point yeah Bashir's dead but i mean he's dancing alongside him i guess in, in his own way that's kind of like a heroic gesture but it's it's i mean it's an absurd you, you said earlier there's like the the soldiers aren't they don't they're not really portrayed as being heroic and then that one sequence with the guy his waltz where he just runs out into the middle of sniper fire and starts firing a machine gun maniacally while kind of waltzing in circles it's it's a vision of absurdity it's not a vision of heroism at all no no not at all exactly it's just like it's absurd and what he's doing is idiotic and (laughs) there's almost a beauty to it but nothing about it is heroic at all this is like the anti-american sniper like nobody's good at anything (laughs) yeah this this is absolutely the anti-war movie i just remember like when when Terrence Malick put out the thin red line and all the dads got bummed out they're like this isn't a cool war movie it's like God. I wish I could show my dad walls with Bashir because he'd just like shit himself and have a seizure. He wouldn't know what to do. This is this is not a John Wayne war movie. No, it's no. They're not chomping on cigars, firing at enemies, and yeah, none of that. Tanks. None of that at all. All right. Well, you know, we're we're going a little bit long, but I still want to talk about what Adam Myros nominated, and then his jabroni ass couldn't show up because he's got to go lift boxes at a warehouse somewhere. Uh, and by lift box in a warehouse, I mean he's actually stuffed in a box in my basement because I murdered him. <laughs> it's about time. We didn't want to say anything. it's about. We're, we're sick of his shit. I, honestly, what I did was it was it was cold out, so it was like it was like seventy degrees the other day in Wisconsin, which was very exciting for us. And then it dropped back down to thirty, so I was upset. So I drove out to Michigan and I cut him open like the Tauntaun in in Empire Strikes Back, and I've been sleeping inside of him for the past Spoiler week. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Sorry. Anyways, Adam Myros asked us to watch a movie which was produced by Guillermo. Uh oh. 
Are you guys still there? I'm here. Oh, shit. Skype just got really angry at us. Jack's Jack's gone. Where's Jack? He's back. Okay. You you dropped out there for a second. The ghost of Myros. Yeah, the ghost of Myros. Sorry. He's trying to sabotage this. I've seen this. I've seen this J horror film. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually skyping live from inside of his body cavity, and one of his part of his small intestines actually too. landed on top of the keyboard and ruined everything. Is, is, I think there's a Korean horror film that's actually called like Killer Phone or something. So yeah, it could be that. What about One Missed Call? One Missed yeah. Call. I mean, they, it's so good they Mike. remade it in America. Oof. So yeah. just so, like every other J horror film. That's true. Yeah. That's what we're going to make Sean watch next. Sean, I, I want you to watch the American remake of Pulse until uh-huh. you literally die. Do I have to rewatch <laughs> Gallatin Key? Or wait, what's the, what's the Jennifer Connelly one? Like oh, water? Dark Dark Water. Dark, dark Water. I think I saw that in the yeah. theater. <laughs> wow, you, were you alone? Jesus. <laughs> I don't remember, to be honest. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, you anyhow, carry on. Well, well, I disappeared. Anyways. <laughs> Adam Myros wanted us to watch a movie that sort of flew under the radar, and this one came out back in like 2007, 2008, produced by Guillermo del Toro, and it's got a ton of pretty, I, I guess you'd call them famous, sort of alternative comic slash graphic novel artists involved in it, and it's also a horror anthology movie, which is you know kind of an oddity, and that is Fears of the Dark. And this one is... Uh, it's it's kind of an oddball selection. It's It's got a lot of different things going on. I should also mention, too, that not only is it animated and a horror anthology and in French, but it's also... I, it's it's in black and white? I, it's it's very, very odd. little uneven, but overall, it's it's something that I feel like a lot of people have sort of missed out on. Is, is that a fair way to describe it? Like... People, people just need to see this because I think a lot of people don't know it exists. From the guy who brought you Pan's Labyrinth and that movie where giant robots punch each other, here's a oddball horror anthology. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, like I think it's uneven certainly, but it is. It discussing this with Adam earlier. I think it is unusual that it's. I think all of the directors on this, there's about five or so separate, five or six separate people worked on this. I think all of them primarily work as graphic novelists. Um, and I think they're all either French or American, most of them. Um, and it's it's so it's, it's got a, a series of, of graphic novelists working on it. And then it's also a horror film. And that those seem like two communities that tend to rally around their own. So it seems very weird that as I've really never heard anyone talk about this movie. It never it didn't seem to make any waves at all. So it does seem like it just kind of I don't know, it just kind of fell away. Yeah, well, and the thing is with horror fanboys and graphic novel fanboys, they're a fickle bunch. And so... A great example of this is one of the best horror movies of 2016. One of the best movies of 2016 is The Witch. Yeah. And recently, the director at some comic convention was like, the mention of The Witch was booed <laughs> during a panel because people were like, that's not a horror movie. <laughs> because they're, they're complete morons. And so I, I feel like this sort of passed by the fanboys because it doesn't it it doesn't function as a traditional horror movie or as like a traditional piece of work from one of these graphic novelists and also because it is uneven and i feel like 
you kind of get the best of the movie up front because I think Charles Burns understands the medium more than anyone else. He's the guy who did Black Hole. And it almost feels like his segment, which is the first segment with the evil bug people and the body horror. And it, it kind of anchors the movie for me. And it's probably the most successful out of all the shorts. It, it certainly it ties in a lot with that. Uh, it reminded me a lot of David Cronenberg made a short film just last year. I think it was called The Nest. It felt very similar. It's about a woman who wants to have like her arm cut off, I believe, because she believes there's insects inside there. It's a, I wonder, did he watch this? Maybe that's where he got the idea. It's more, it, it's horror in this, not in the sense that there's like things that jump out and scare you, which a lot of people mistake for horror these days. It's, it, but I think fears of the dark taps into something that's m- certainly more primal and, um, it, it leaves you feeling more unsettled than, um, let's say, I don't know, your fucking Saw movies or whatever sure, kids, sure. shit kids like. But yeah, it taps into like, it just, it taps into like fears of like you know fears of insects and and phobias that people have and um and the animation really underlines this and interestingly enough I actually thought that the piece that worked for me the best was the last one with the guy living in the house oh yeah that one's great that too was, that was my favorite of them mm-hmm. yeah that was a splendid payoff and especially since the animation style of all of them that one is like the most minimalistic yet the most effective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, most of that segment is just completely shrouded in blackness. Like, there's, yeah. not, there's not a lot going on, but it's definitely really effective. And I think that this movie was smart to sort of bookend things. You know, it's got that hook in the beginning, and then it ends really well. Uh, and it I isn't... Like the dogs, it, too. I, I do like the dogs. And that's the, the other thing, too, that makes this, this movie as an anthology sort of interesting is, in addition to the clear-cut segments... There's also two things going on in between each segment. And the first is, it's like a series of geometric shapes while people just talk about things that they're afraid of. And they're not normal things that you're afraid of, like, oh, I'm afraid of heights, or oh, I'm afraid of Jason Voorhees. It's just weird things like self-doubt and, you know, things well, like it's that. Well, it's very French bourgeois fears. Yes. It's fear of not, you know, it's, it's very, you know, kind of... Uh, I'm afraid they will not like my wine and baguettes that I have provided. It's like, I fear I'll have a dinner party and everyone will say they enjoyed it, but they didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then in addition to that, there's this Story other segment where this guy is walking around with, with this pack of dogs and before each short, one of the dogs gets loose and accidentally mauls someone. So it mauls a small child. It mauls a dancer. It mauls uh, just a random dude. And then eventually it just mauls the crazy guy himself, who sort of looks like an evil version of the Quaker Oats man. That, that's what I was going to say. Quaker <laughs> as Oats man is killing people. As we learned, Dog Bites Man is not news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> little you know journalism 101 from optimismvaccine.com do you know what it, do you know what is news steve what what is news man bites dog also a black and white movie also on the oh, criterion I was, collection i was gonna guess kim kardashian is news <laughs> but that works too yeah same, we, need, same we, we need to have a man bites dog podcast oh jesus yeah i well i mean next time we have a depravity cast we'll uh we'll do that one <laughs> <Depravity>. <laughs> we've, See, we've, we've had a few we've had a few 
I can get behind that. Out of the ones where we we watch the really weird warp stuff. So uh, you I you can... bring Man Bites Dog, and we'll we'll bring something <laughs> yeah. else that you have to watch. Yeah, I'm I, I'm actually I would be very excited for that because Sean, you would bring Man Bites Dog to the table, and I have complete confidence in Jack Eason that he will bring something to the table that will just utterly disgust you on a completely let's, different level. Let's, yeah, we need to do like a shotgun wedding with Man Bites Dog. All right, well, hey, chalk it up. That's going to be the next one. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna bring hard candy because honestly that's one oh, of the most no, oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> or Peter Jackson's King Kong. It's a movie that just to sit through it is just a horrific a horrific imposition on everyone. Uh, geez, geez. I'd rather watch that than hard candy again. I, I really like the idea of of you just trying to pair everything for our podcast with with Peter Jackson's King Kong. <laughs> We're talking about alternative animation, but have you seen the CGI animation of Peter Jackson's King Kong? Oh. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I've t- I'm taking jabs at Waking Life, but Waking Life looks pretty good compared to the later career of Peter <laughs> Jackson. Jesus Christ. Jake, tell yes, the sir. people why they need to watch Fears of the Dark. Why why is this a movie they should watch? Well, it's very unique, um, not so, like something I've ever seen. And also, before we started this, I had, had never heard of it. Um, but Fears of the Dark, really, it's just so, it does a lot with a little. It's so effective in telling each of its stories. And like every anthology, some shorts are bound to be better than others. But I think overall, it's a very interesting and worthwhile project. Um, that And certainly more creative than some of the things out there that I can get behind. But for, yeah, those of you looking for sort of a more, I don't know, cerebral horror film than with some beautiful black and white animation of various formats, then definitely check this out. Sure. And, and I think with anthology horror films, aside from often being really uneven, which is almost unavoidable in a movie like this because you're constantly comparing one segment to the next. Yeah. I, I, think, I think there's a problem where there's a lack of cohesion like nothing feels completely tied together by a theme or an idea and fears of the dark does a, a really great idea of like aesthetically and thematically tying everything together it, 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 even though it's clearly a series of separate short films it feels like they all belong together which is really nice you know it's better than fucking creep show good lord yeah, it's true. It's not like where you take like ABCs of Death or the VHS film and you give each director like $10,000 and you say, okay, go shoot whatever, we'll edit it together. It, yeah. it's, there seems to be some some colluding going on here. Exactly. Which I like. Although in defense of Creepshow, I like that segment where the dead grandma lady says, where's my cake? Like 3,000 times. I don't know if you're going to diss on Creepshow. We're going to have... I like Creepshow. Creep you show would like Creepshow. <laughs> That's the hot take of the century. Creep show too? Eh, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Native American statue or something in the killer oil slick and oh, Jordan Arrow got paid or whatever. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but anyhow, what, what, I, what I think was interesting, actually, I couldn't help but note, between Waltz with Bashir, there's a line in it where they talk about, uh, near the start, where he says, them, uh, one of the guys talks about how memory is alive and how, as the guy says, a disassociative event uh so it says that the mind is a mechanism to stop you from going into dark places. And then uh, <laughs> Fears of the Dark is like a whole movie devoted towards people going into dark places. So it feels like, you know, there you go. If this was a shotgun oh. wedding, I would drop the mic now. Perfect. Sean, you're not the type of person who normally indulges our horror impulses. I'm going to go ahead and say that you did not pre-order 
the Arrow special edition of Bride of Reanimator. Would that be correct? Uh, no comment. <laughs> so all, that being said, was this something you were able to get into or still not your bag? Or Did not watch. No comment. You didn't watch it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Could you not find subtitles for it? Was that your problem? I couldn't find it at all. So, it's on YouTube. It, That's how I watched it. Yeah, YouTube.com. You heard of it? Well, thanks <laughs> for li- hey. Thanks quit, quit for watching. Me now. Quit watching your goddamn no, PewDiePie videos. To, I didn't end up having the time to watch it anyway. But um, I don't think you guys really were counting on me to chime in on these That's horror episodes. Here, yeah, we got Johnny fucking Banana Bread over here, too busy uh, baking to watch a movie. I'll talk about arrows. What? 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 What do you want to talk about? Eros. Talk it's about, about it. the only anthology film oh. I can talk about. <laughs> well, actually, don't talk about it because it's not animated. Yeah. We, we, get, we get a theme exactly. here. Much like an anthology not, very film. Good either. Yeah, it's also not very good. <laughs> whoa, All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, the one car watch thing is beautiful. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Okay, we got to wrap this thing up soon, but there's still a couple of things that I want to talk about because the whole purpose of this is not only to you know hear the beautiful sounds of our own voices, but also to let people know that there's amazing alternative animation movies out there that you should probably be watching and you're not right now and there's something on netflix that jake has been badgering the shit out of us for the past like month to watch and i finally sat (laughs) down and watched it and actually when jake first suggested this i think i'll watch it tomorrow i I thought i thought jake was a total asshole when he first suggested (laughs) this because i thought he was talking about tomorrowland which is that shitty george clooney movie directed by brad bird that nobody saw and he's just like you gotta see this you gotta see this i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you jake it's not george clooney brad bird disaster i I sat through that shit (laughs) i I might was that that your vietnam Yeah, I was my Vietnam, and I I love George Clooney. I will go see anything he does, but that was too much for me to handle. Would you say it was almost like intolerable cruelty? (laughs) (laughs) I I rescind what I said earlier. I don't think I'm going to watch it tomorrow, but I might watch it the day after tomorrow. Now, what is Sean Glynn? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Sean. Okay, yeah. so anyways, the movie that I'm I'm beating around the bush about here is World of Tomorrow, which is a whopping 15 minutes long, so I feel like an even bigger dick for putting it off for so long. It's so smart, and just it, it's so great. It's the best way to spend 15 minutes. Jake, tell us about World of Tomorrow. Absolutely. So World of Tomorrow is by Don Hertzfeld. Um, he's known for these funny, brilliant stick figure animations, and um, it's about this little girl, and she turns on this monitor, and a clone of herself from the future starts talking with her, and then it takes her through time and space and shows how the world used to be and how it, what it's evolving into. And there's all these things like time travel and memories and how, you know, the, how everything is just so, how everything adapts and evolves over time. And it's all shown through the eyes of this three-year-old girl. So you have them in like the these like colorful world of shapes flying everywhere and it's called the outranet and there's this like huge scientific explanation and then the little girl is like oh i drew a triangle and it's it's really brilliant how he has both the elements come together and i i think it's a, it's a stunningly beautiful animated film for and it should have won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. I agree. I As someone who's only seen one movie from that category and it's World of Tomorrow, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, I think this one, it actually, 
pairs really well with Fantastic Planet for me because it, it's yeah. almost like if you condense that movie's ideas into, I, I don't know, a, a much shorter, much simpler execution. And I played up the comedy, I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, Fantastic and, Planet is not really a laugh a minute. No, it is. It is not. It is most certainly not a laugh a minute. But it also it, it has that same core to it where it's really funny, but it's also really tragic at the exact same time because you have this super advanced civilization that has consistently like suppressed the poor people, which they make a point of constantly. They're like, yes, and all the rich people in the world did this with their consciousness and uploaded it to the internet. And then all the poor people time traveled and they ended up in space because they didn't pay enough money and they all died. <laughs> but it's just yes. like really deadpan. Stars. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then they, they show the people like burning up in the atmosphere and the little girls is like, Oh look, the pretty shooting stars. It's like, she starts counting. Dying. Them. Yeah. <laughs> What's really brilliant. How he made this, uh, um, so the little girl is a daughter of, I believe, a friend of his, and he was visiting her in England, and he wanted to write lines for her to say, but he realized he couldn't get a three-year-old girl to say what he wanted to write down. So he took out his iPad and like secretly recorded them while like they were coloring and playing and just talking, whatever. And then he took all of her, all the things she said while they were like playing and coloring, and then wrote a script around it, and then animated the <laughs> film from that. So, That's for example, brilliant. at one point they meet an alien, and the little girl reacts and calls the alien Simon. And what happened in real life is that a cat named Simon walked into the room they were sitting. <laughs> so Simon became the alien in the thing. That's, I, it that's makes awesome. sense, the the because I mean, the, it's so much in animation. You have voice acting for kids, and it's clearly it's a grown up pretending to be a kid. I mean, this is clearly the voice of a three year old just saying stuff. It sounds completely natural and off the cuff because it clearly is, which means it's bizarre. I mean, just babbling nonsense at points. Yeah, it's it's great yeah. because, and I, I wish Myros was here because if there's a person who hates children in movies more, <laughs> I, I don't think they exist. There's nothing Adam Myros hates more than someone under the age of 18 in a movie. Well, <laughs> he like, may be shocked to find God this damn one. children. Yeah, I know. He'd probably like this. Because, yeah, it, it must, seems very must, natural. He's like the anti-Larry Clark. <laughs> he is the anti-Larry oh. Clark. He doesn't care about kids. <laughs> uh, that's awful. Thank you, Sean. Oh, yeah. Thank actually, you. yeah. For, for You know, you bring Man Boy's dog, I'll bring Larry Clark's bully. <laughs> No, I win again. Oh God! I will never sit through that again. Oh, and then I'm, I want to make I want to make Sean watch Harmony Corinne's uh, The Trash Humpers. Uh, I'm sw- <laughs> I, I have sworn off any Larry Clark film for the rest of my life. Like, there's no logical reason to watch that. Well, no, it depends. Maybe you hate yourself. That's a good reason to watch a Larry Clark movie. <laughs> Maybe you also have sleazy relationships with teenagers. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, World of Tomorrow. <laughs> hey, speaking of sleazy relationships with children, tell us a little bit more about World of Tomorrow. <laughs> I first I first encountered Don Hertzfield's uh, work actually on like the birth of YouTube. Um, his film is it refused, I think, or rejected. Um, Rejected. That's, that's the. the uh, that's the. That you see the, the spoon guy. The spoon. Yeah, the spoon, the spoon is, is too big. big. That was like one of the first YouTube viral videos I remember in like 2005, um, and I remember watching that full film. And it's it's animated on paper on like uh, sheets of paper, and the the paper is crumpled and everything. It's and it's just it's it's under the guise of a series of of 
of uh, inserts that Hertzfeld was commissioned to to do for the Learning Channel, and each one of them is more hideous and grotesque and abstract than the last, and eventually the world implodes, the paper starts crumpling up. It's a really weird little film, but it's brilliantly done. It's hilarious and depressing and very well technically executed, which seems to be Don Hertzfeld's thing. That seems to be what he does really well. So it's kind of really nice to see in World of Tomorrow that he's... not sure if this is his first computer animated film. Um, it, it is, yeah. It is. It's it's his first, and it, he tra- transition seems to be seamless. He's still using very simple designs. I mean, stick figures practically, um, but implementing it with with the computer technology to create this really interesting, absorbing kind of visual world, which is uh, I think very impressive. That he seems he's clearly, I mean, he's he's just an excellent visual stylist. He's able to impress his mark on whatever he does. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah absolutely. He, yeah, that's you. You fucking nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. And it's it's weird too because I I kind of always wondered what he was doing, you know, <laughs> after the the spoon. Like, is he just like counting his spoon dollars and just kind of <laughs> <laughs> living his life? And it doesn't I doesn't even I, have a million hits. Really? Are you but serious? It's probably been taken down and put up like four thousand. I don't know. Times. Yeah, that's there's true. One that, there's one that's up that's been there for seven is not since 2005 obviously but um yeah. I, I may just it. i may just count it a viral hit because i found it and i'm fucking awesome so that, that may be <laughs> yeah <there>. that's cool <laughs> johnny cool guy over here he's he's on and in on the I ground was, floor I was, of youtube i was at cruising the youtube's finding the cool stuff that's right watching <laughs> hamster dance on a lube <laughs> fun fact jack easton is actually the original star wars kid in case you didn't know uh, <laughs> I've been I've been riding riding high on that that money for for so long now to take this shitty podcast gig to, to that's right. P.S. Shout out to Star Wars kid, friend of the show. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, we got to wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for telling the people about these amazing movies that they probably should seek out and watch because I think we watched a lot of good shit this week. Thank you for not making me watch horrible things. It's yeah. nice to like not watch someone fuck a goat or you know yeah, i feel like our, our, our cast should have like a little we should design a little symbol we can put beside it for the podcast about films we would actually want to watch and just films that we did actually watch yeah I, you know and maybe when i write the description of the podcast i'll i'll, I'll make note of that be like hey you should listen to this one because we're talking about things that you probably want to see N- no goats were fucked <laughs> <laughs> that we know of. That we, it was yeah. behind the scenes. I don't know what. Yeah, well, were. I mean, Sean does actually have a stable full of goats that he fucks while he listens to Cindy Lauper records, but that's a totally different baking thing. Baking banana bread. Come on. <laughs> He's baking some serious banana bread with some serious goats. All right, gentlemen, uh, we got to talk about what you're putting over this week. Jack, what are you putting over? Um, I, I, you know, I don't really have anything that, that I've specifically put aside. Oh, for this. my God. Yeah, what, just, what, what have I'm, you watched recently? What, you what you watched some no, French you know, you movie know what, that you were over, talking I'll, about. I'll put over, um, I'm a little behind the, the, the curve on music, uh, always, more so even than film. But I did find uh, an album called uh, Engravings by a British electronic artist who goes by the title Forest Swords. And it's awesome. And it's really kind of interesting music kind of ambient electronic soundscapes just my kind of thing uh so i highly recommend if you're into like tim hacker or anything like that it's it's worth it worth a listen i don't know what exactly genre it is but it's good all right so i'll put that over there you go good shit jake what are you putting over this week 
I'm going to put over Jeremy Saulnier's new film, Green Room. Oh, I I need to see that. It's coming out wide this weekend, I believe, so now's your chance. Uh, If you like Blue Ruin, same director. It follows a a punk rock band as they're playing a gig at a white supremacist compound. And when they go to the Green Room, they stumble across a crime scene and become trapped there by the Nazi racists and uh, have to fight so, their way out. So is it kind of like Panic Room? It's better than Panic Room <laughs> Wait, because it's, and it's not got, shit. It's got Jean-Luc Picard <laughs> in it, doesn't it? it? Yeah, Jean-Luc Picard himself, he's the leader of the skinheads. <laughs> he's he's the captain of the skinheads. Yeah, he's, this, he's the oh, commander, man. yeah. I wish, he, I wish Jean-Luc Picard was in Panic Room. Yeah. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Instead of Jared Leto. I wish Instead I... Of, Forrest Whitaker, yeah, yeah. I, but I feel it, I feel it should be Jean Luc Picard married to Ian McKellen. That's a twin Nazi leaders. That's the film <laughs> I'm now picturing. Can we can we discuss something really quickly? Uh, you mentioned Forrest Whitaker. Why is it King of Scotland? Why why doesn't anybody talk about how Forrest Whitaker is in Bloodsport and he's awesome in Bloodsport? <laughs> no one talks about that. That's so people, important. People also don't talk about the fact that I think Bloodsport has a bunch of cat noises on the soundtrack. Which, once yeah. you hear them, you will never, you can never <laughs> hear them. It's just a random yeah. cat. Yeah, Nobody like, understands that Bloodsport's like the best movie ever made. Like, what if what if Enter the Dragon was like a thousand times better? Bloodsport Blood is definitely the best feature-length music video of the 80s. Wait, does he do the splits in Time Cop or Bloodsport? He does the splits in every movie uh-huh. that matters. He does Sean them like seven times in Bloodsport. That is a troll question. Don't just, just <laughs> jump up and down do the splits in this movie or oh that movie. God. He plays a twin in every movie and he does the splits in both roles. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's correct. <laughs> Sean, if you want a good Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, you may actually like JCVD. Oh, where he plays the titular? Yeah, yeah he, he plays, plays the, the titular, titular JCVD. <laughs> and he's caught in a bank robbery, but yeah, this time he's a just movie. a man. If that you, is actually a genuinely good film. Uh, I, yeah. I, I actually recommend that. But honestly, if you don't enjoy Jean-Claude Van Damme, just I don't even know yeah. what you do. If, if you oh, don't I think Hard Target is the most important movie the last 50 years, go get fucked. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Time Cop, for sure. <laughs> Time Cop is pretty good. Okay, that's uh, fine. Still, you can stay. King, I must be on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what are you putting over this week? Time um, Cop? I have been like withholding that or not been able to put this over um for a while but the movie entertainment that came out last year uh, oh, that's on netflix oh is it yeah it just came on oh, nice. stream that from nice. netflix.com uh, but it's by the whoever directed the comedy with tim heidecker but uh this is with a friend of tim heidecker um greg turkington playing his alter ego neil hamburger kind of if not playing both um it's weird. Uh, it's basically about the character of Neil Hamburger um, going on tour, but um, also just on like this weird road trip. It's sort of like a mixture of like sideways and like the prism of like 2001 or something abstract. Um, it's it's really bizarre, but uh, it's really good. And like, especially if you like Neil Hamburger. Have you ever seen if Neil you... Hamburger live, Sean? No, uh, oh we're Stephen Coleman when we need him. That is a, that is a magical experience. Let me tell you about Neil oh, Hamburger sure. live. I I've seen him before, and this this happened when I saw him. 
and I'm guessing this is probably a very common thing for him. He had like eight cocktails in hand. Well, yeah, he had eight cocktails in hand, and it's funny because we're all in on the joke, obviously, because we paid to go see him. But there's always a handful of people who don't know what they're going yeah. to see. That's basically what the movie's about. And that's what makes the show, is the people who are like, what the fuck is this guy? Yeah, so uh, the movie, I guess the character is like different in the sense that like nobody's in on the joke. Uh, And he's playing like these lounge bars and whatnot. And like nobody really like gets it or like or or maybe in the universe there's nothing to get. And he's just terrible. But um, so he's just like going into these like honky tonk, like one horse towns doing his bit and getting like harassed and stuff and it's it makes for some like really uncomfortable situations but outside of his performances he's just sort of like doing this this like other like road trip like discovery type stuff but it's it's pretty bizarre but but um not like hard to enjoy it by any means it seems hmm. it seems good i just pulled it up on the imdb of which the, the featured uh review is uh user review is one star and the headline is awful so that's, that's probably actually yep. a pretty good indicator right at that's, the top. Oh, and it ends with the line that it's even worse than Terrence Malick's awful Tree of Life film. So. <laughs> God forbid. God forbid it's as bad as oh, Tree of Life. Jesus. Are there any dinosaurs in this one? <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, I mean, based on our previous discussion, I'm I'm half tempted to put over the uh, the double Blu-ray of Time Cop and Bloodsport, which is like <laughs> like perennially like it's like always ten dollars on amazon and it's been that way since like 2007 it's like total recall yeah if, if you don't own that what the fuck is wrong with you best thing is you can open the case and just press it down it's like it's doing the splits mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but actually this week i'm uh, i'm gonna put over I, I i would say the greatest movie of the past 40 years and if you ask someone if you say hey what was the best movie made in 1979 a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of great answers there. Maybe you'd say Alien, something like that, you know? Uh, you'd be the wrong. The answer's Stalker, isn't it? It's it's the answer, it's, it's not Stalker. Stalker, yeah, that's great. That's Wait, good. is it the answer's wrong. <sighs> it's actually a movie that began filming in, in, in the late 1970s. No, no. Apocalypse Now. Manhattan. Child's Play compared to this. Manhattan? No. Steve loves oh. Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Kramer versus Kramer guy. I'm putting over Kramer versus fucking Kramer. No, it's it's a movie that started filming in the late 1970s, and it uh, actually took 26, 27 years to complete. And that is a movie called Dangerous Men, which is now available, finally, after, like, literally 40 fucking years it's finally available on Blu-ray. This is a movie that was created by a guy who uh, he's originally from Iran, and he was a, a like a famous architect. He was very rich over there, and then he immigrated to America, and <clears throat> for one reason or another, decided, eh, I guess I'll just become a filmmaker. So he decided to start filming this action movie, <laughs> and so he he literally spent. And oh, by the way, his pseudonym that he he films under is John Rad, which is the most badass name ever. <laughs> and he literally spent his the the entire remainder of his life completing this movie 27 28 29 I don't know how many years he finally finishes it literally dies less than 6 months after it's completed and puts it out it is the most amazing movie i have ever seen it is a movie that is basically like if you met space aliens and you tried to explain film to them and then ask them to just shoot a movie on the fly, this is what they would create. It makes no sense. 
It makes Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau <laughs> look both competent and and just like complete masters of the language of cinema. It is beyond anything I've ever seen in my entire how, life. How does this match up to Miami Connection? It is Miami Connection. Is, <laughs> looks is, like speak, heat. It looks like yeah. It looks man, like heat. <laughs> another man who showed up in the United States and thought, "I'll make a film." Well, I mean, people people always any, like, talk about like spilled? anti-movies, anti-film. This is the ultimate anti-movie. Are there any spilled plates of spinach? There are. There are no spilled plates of, of spinach. But let's just put it this way: the movie ends on a freeze frame of three characters. Those three characters, one of them has been in the movie for exactly like 90 seconds. And the other two were introduced like 20 minutes ago. And that's the final that's the final scene. I can I can vouch for how amazing this film is. It's the kind of film where a police officer will pull out a badge and the badge says man policeman. <laughs> yeah, and, and, shit. and that's the beauty that's a of it. Special department. It's it's like a shit onion because on, on its surface, it's a very bad movie. But the like, you can you could literally just stop the movie. Like you could pause on any frame of this movie and just study the frame and find like ten things that are horribly wrong or strange. It is hard to keep continuity over twenty years. I would imagine it's it also is... hard to keep actors over twenty <laughs> years. Yeah. Yeah. People dropped keep, out of this. They keep fucking going home. The lazy assholes. The the things that go on in this movie, it does not make any sense. I mean, even the title the the title of the movie is Dangerous Men. So it seems like well, this is clearly a movie about men who are dangerous. But I would say about ninety percent of the movie is about a very dangerous woman, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's. You just you have to see it. There are no words to describe this movie. It is beyond anything. Hmm. So that's why I'm putting it over. Sean, I think you'll hate it. Jack, I think you'll love it. I'm, I'm already looking at it. Where where do I see this? Where where do I find well, this? Well, you can. The, the Blu-ray just came out like last week, and it is most certainly worth a purchase. I would recommend <laughs> just buying it outright. It is it is definitely worth it. I'm forcing all my friends to watch it. Yeah, I mean, you're a man who owns Island of Death and The Sinful Dwarf. I think it's about time you invested right now. Seriously, you're a person who owns Island of Death and The Sinful Dwarf. Continue down that life path. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the life path you need to go down. All right, Jack, while you click buy it now on Amazon, uh, I'm going to go ahead and plug our website, optimismvaccine.com. Make sure you also go to iTunes. Check out the Optimism Vaccine page on iTunes. Search for it. Give us a star rating. Give us a written review. Why should you waste your time doing that? Well, one, you lazy son of a bitch. It takes you like two minutes. And two, it really helps our visibility. It lets more people listen to the podcast. If you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast yet, please do so now. If you have loved ones, significant others, enemies, strangers on the street, tell them to do the exact same thing. Sean, that girl you're dating, has she uh, rated and reviewed the podcast yet? It's funny. She was just talking about how she needs to do that. Yeah, exactly. Until she does, she's dead to me. Now, after you rate banana bread, or is that does that acronym nerd that? That's not banana bread. She's I'm not fucking her. On the webs, yeah, right now. Get that baked good on the interwebs, baby. Uh, So yeah, make sure make sure you guys go ahead and do that. Also, check out Optimus Vaccine. We're gonna have a bunch of other amazing articles about alternative animation that are gonna be coming up very soon. You can also. Follow us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Cuff. You can follow Jack Eason at what? what are we, where do we follow you? I'm, I'm at FG105. That's on, right on Twitter. And Jake, you you changed your Twitter. You're not Lance anymore, are you? 
No, I'm at Jake Tropila. That's his T-R- name. T-R-O-P-I-L-A. That's where you find him, like Tila Tequila. <laughs> Sean Glennis, where do we find you on Twitter? At Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to go. And you can find uh, Adam Myros uh, at the bottom of the Milwaukee River. So, thank you for joining us today, gentlemen. And uh, Steve Coleman's not here either. So, uh, you know what? Let's give the last word to Jake. Hey, now. You're an (laughs) (laughs) all-star. Thank you. Thank you for that. Enough for that.